0: And if you were blessed by that number, say amen. Amen. And if you didn't say amen, you're deaf, because that was incredible. Thank you so much, choir. What a delight to be here with you. Good to see you folks over there. Thanks for coming on that side. Good to see you. Glad to have you. What do we need to do here? Get us all put together. This is going to be my amen section right over here, Okay. So while I preach, if I need encouragement, I'll just point over here and I'll, I'll just look for an amen. So if I point, I need to hear amen. Are you ready? Amen. That wasn't good enough. Are you ready? Amen. Good job. Center section, you be praise the Lord, okay? If I point, you say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, amen. praise the Lord. Now on the outside, you're going to say, preach it, brother, preach it, okay? Amen. Preach it, brother, preach it. You two are gonna say that. Now, it's interesting when you go to camps, they all have different cultures. Every camp has a different, this is my first time to be at Bayshore. This place is incredible. Where have you been all my life? I think it was three years ago, Kevin, when you invited me to come and I just kind of penciled it in and, and I'm limited the number of camps I can do and some of my friends had said, You've got, if you ever get invited to Bayshore, you can't go to heaven unless you stop at Bayshore. And so I thought I better do it. You guys, that song you sang about Bayshore, that is the coolest song. I've spoken in camps all over the place. I've never heard a camp theme song before. That is absolutely incredible. That is amazing. Now I've experienced lots of things in camps. I was speaking in uh, South Georgia, Butler, Georgia, Taylor County Holiness Camp. And in South Georgia in July, You you don't need to preach on hell. Just go to camp. You'll experience it in the heat. It is hot. And I think, I'm going to die. This is terrible. I go up to preach, and they have this air conditioning system on the stage. And as I stand up, there's this big pulpit. And I thought, this is cool. Up on the stage, it's air conditioned. And I stand up to preach, and I have these these things like a car vent with air conditioning things that just blow all over you while you preach. And I thought, guys, if you want a short sermon, that's not a good way to get it. I'm going to go forever. But you guys are something else. Christy and I grew up at, at camps. We're both camp kids. She grew up in Oregon at Jennings Lodge Camp, EUB Camp, in Portland, Oregon. And that was her camp. I grew up in Weeping Water, Nebraska Camp. Weeping Water, Nebraska. It's not the end of the world, but you can see the end of the world from there. Isn't that something? By the way, are you Spartans or Wolverines here? How's that work? Yeah, you're dysfunctional. You know, half of you are one, half of you are the other. Chippewas. May God bless you. Uh, I grew up in Nebraska, and so I'm a corn husker. I'm a corn husker all the way through and through. My mom worked at the university, and, and so I was a corn husker growing up. Nebraska, University of Nebraska is a great academic school, incredible academics. It's amazing, that school. In fact, you know what the, you know what the N on the helmet stands for? It stands for knowledge. stands for knowledge. <laughs> so, so, I'm excited to be able to be with you here. I'm just honored that you invited me to come and and to share with you, we're gonna have a good time. Some of you are gonna say, why did you invite that guy? And uh, it'll be over with shortly, so don't worry about it. You know, it won't last long. There you go. But we're just gonna have a great time, right? Praise the Lord! Praise praise the Lord, praise the Lord, We'll get it down. We'll get it down. If you have your Bibles here, I want you to take them. I want you to get them out. Would you hold your Bible up in the hair real high? Your Bible, a hymnal, whatever you've got, hold it up real high. And I want you to turn with me to a very familiar verse of Scripture. Very familiar verse of Scripture. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And many of you know this verse by heart. For someone here, it might be your life verse. It might be the verse that you've anchored yourself to for your whole life. And I absolutely love this verse of Scripture. But what I want to do tonight is we kind of start out this thing of rooted and drilling down deep. What I want to do is I want to kind of show you the whole of the verse. And I want to put it in its context. Now, God is going to do something neat in our midst. This is really a different thing for me. I get great opportunities to speak. I spoke in Juarez, Mexico on Wednesday. And uh, had an opportunity to start a whole new movement there with 50 churches. And I get a lot of different places, and I go quite a bit. But I have to tell you something. Something about three weeks ago hit in my heart about Bayshore. I couldn't shake it. Virtually every day from when it hit, I just said, God, I don't know what you want to do, but there's something you want to do. It might be in me. I might be the person that he speaks to during these days. I think God wants to see someone move from religion to relationship. Somebody gets saved, never been saved, never been been born again. May have been a deacon in the church. You've never truly been born again. Somebody, somebody is going to experience what it is to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody's going to experience what it is to be consecrated, surrendered, sanctified, whatever terminology you want to use. I believe God's going to put a failing marriage back together. I believe there's someone here that looks good on the outside. I think someone's going to get called to ministry. Someone is going to have a whole career change, and they're going to go, I pulled into this camp. What has happened? And God's going to kind of reorder your life like he did Kevin's life in his call. And he's going to do the exact same thing to you. God's going to do something great. And it's not because I show up. In fact, I'm kind of scared when I show up because I know me. One of the guys on staff just texted me a little bit ago, and he said, remember, Dave, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And if God shows up, he can take foolish guys who grew up in Nebraska. I figure this, if he can speak through a donkey, there's a fair chance he can speak through me. And that's kind of the way it works. Now, here's our verse tonight that I want us to focus on. Jeremiah 29, 11. I want you to read it with me. Let's just put it up on the screen. And I want you to read this with me with your big outside voices. Are you ready? Don't read this just kind of casually. I want you to read this with your big outside voices. Here we go. Jeremiah 29, 11. Read it together with me. Together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I just love that verse. I just love it. I love that verse because it talks about a God that has great plans for me. It talks about a God that's not interested in harming me. I grew up sometimes thinking that God was mad at me. He's up in heaven waiting for me to mess up and strike me down. And I began to understand that God is an incredible God. And he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, Now we get in trouble on that word prosper we just kind of take that thing to the cleaners and we put an american definition of prosperity on that word do you know what the word prosper if you go into the hebrew and you study the word prosper do you know what it means it means shalom i have plans for peace for you the wealthiest people in this world are not americans the wealthiest people in this world i've ever met are in a village hut in honduras they're on the backside in India. They're down in the boroughs of Mexico. Why are they wealthy? Because they have the thing that money cannot buy, the peace of God which path all understanding. And he said, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to do something deep in your heart. I'm going to give you a peace that money can't buy. I'm going to give you a peace that the Detroit Tigers can't give you. I'm going to give you a peace that the Wolverines will never give you. The Spartans can't give you. I'm going to give you a peace that is going to be so deep. I will give you peace, and I will not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I want to give you three very simple things tonight to hang your hat on. As we drill down deep and we put roots in this, these are the three simplest thoughts I can give you. Number one, God has a plan for you god has a plan for you in fact in this passage of scripture he says it so clearly for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord god has a plan now who is he talking to who is he talking to go back in your text and look at jeremiah 29 look at jeremiah 29 start at verse 1 who is this written to who is it that he says i have great plans for you now when you study this passage of scripture you're going to find why this verse is so impactful Because the plans he has for them are Jews that are being held in Babylon, what, 700 miles away from their home country. They're being held by Nebuchadnezzar. Their freedom has been taken away. Things are going bad. False gods are all around them. Their world is falling apart. They can't eat what they want to eat. They can't worship the way they want to worship it is rough being them it's hard being them and he looks at them and says for i want you to know i have i have plans for you now when you look at this and you begin to understand it you begin to say that even though times were hard god still has a plan for you even though times are difficult even though things may not go the way you desired and the way you wanted you i I wish we're gonna have a chance to get acquainted during our time together here. When I was uh, 16 years old, I, that was back just after the Civil War, when I, when I bought my, my first car. For those of you that are my age, I bought a 62 Chevrolet. 62 Chevrolet two-door hardtop. And to be a man of the world, I went and bought headrests. Now, you gotta understand what it's like to be old. That's when cars didn't come with seat belts and headrests. Remember that old bench seat the cars used to have? Man, those were slick for dating. You could find out where you were real quick with your gal, you know, how far she slid over on the bench seat beside you when you drove. And I, I bought a 62 Chevrolet. My payments were 43.37 a month. And I was living high. My dad wouldn't let me buy a muscle car. He said, not good for you boys to have a muscle car. I want you to get a straight six cylinder. Now, you have to understand my generation. That was called a dog. Those engines were terrible. 235 straight six the only way we could lay a patch of rubber was to start on gravel and then go on the pavement and we would get a little bit of a squeal but my life was going well I went to a football game one night and I noticed I couldn't see I couldn't see very well I couldn't see the numbers of the guys with jerseys had glasses and so dad took me to an optometrist got a new pair of glasses three weeks later I couldn't see very well they took me back something's wrong and to make a long story short, at the age of 16, I became legally blind in one eye. No vision. Had surgery in that eye. It was really tough when they told me I could no longer be in sports or athletics. They put a buckle in that bad eye to try to hold the detached retina together. I thought, my life is over. My life is over. So 20 years ago, I was speaking just down the road here, I think, in Lamont, Michigan. It was on a Saturday night, I drove home real late, and on the way home driving, I sensed something's not right in my vision. I always had one good eye I could trust, but my good eye seemed like something had gone wrong. Sure enough, my good eye went bad on me. Now I've got one eye that I'm 20 over 400 in, and I've got another eye going bad. People say, Dave, I saw you drive into this camp. I drive by Braille, I feel my way as I go. <laughs> After all those surgeries, I have no peripheral vision whatsoever. A lot of times people at church will come up to me and say, you walked right by me, you didn't say hello. I didn't see you. My vision starts right there as I do it. My life wasn't easy, it was tough, it was hard. I'd get jealous of people who could see, I'd get jealous of guys who could play football and basketball, but little did I understand that God had a plan for me, and as a part of his plan for me, he was going to allow me to experience the loss of a significant amount of vision. Now, praise the Lord, through about seven surgeries, my sight has been restored where I can almost pass the driver's test without glasses. My doctor told me that, and I got excited. He said, don't worry, a lot of blind people almost pass it, so you're not that great. (laughs) For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Did it surprise God when my eyes blew up? It didn't surprise him. He knew before the foundation of the earth what would happen to my vision. It didn't surprise him. He knew that a part of me building character was gonna take this. It didn't surprise God when the children of Israel are stuck in Babylon. Now, I wish we could get the opportunity to sit down and get to know each other. I love to hear stories. I would love to hear your story. In fact, when we fly, I fly quite a bit, and I look at airports as a great way to make new friends. My wife says, leave the people alone. <laughs> They don't want to meet you. I would love to hear your story. Because in your story, you have pain points somewhere. You have something that happened to you that was devastating. Something that was hard. And I've just come to tell you that it's all a part of God's magnificent plan for your life. That God can make beauty out of ashes. God can turn the darkest night into the brightest days. And he says to these people who are living their worst nightmare, Babylon, captive, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. We're not feeling prosperous. But he said, I want to tell you that I have a plan for you. It's not an accident that I'm here at Bayshore Camp. I believe it's a part of God's plan. I believe this week God's going to talk to me. I believe he's going to show me some things. I'm going to preach myself under conviction probably every night. If they ever give an altar call, I'll be the first one down there because God is going to do a work in my life this week. And God brought you here for a purpose. Before time began, he knew this week was going to take place. He knew Kevin and Elaine were going to lead this camp. He knew our musicians were going to come. You see, I believe strongly in the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. The free will of man does not negate the sovereignty of God. You look at this passage and see how many times God says, I can, I will, I know. God is a sovereign God, and he has great plans for us. Number two, number two, God has a place for you. God has a place for you. Now, this is what's interesting. I find this very fascinating, because these people didn't like where they were. They didn't like where they were. In fact, they hated where they were at. And God says to them, you are constantly praying for me to take you to another place. Maybe where you are is where I placed you right now for this moment, and I want you to embrace the place I have for you. Because this place is where I'm going to do a work in your heart that's a part of greater history that's going to be. Look at this with me. Now look at what he says to them in verse 4 and 5 as he talks to them about God's place for you. In verse 5 he says, here they are in Babylon. Strange country. Strange people. Strange stuff. They didn't really like it. And they're praying, God, get us out of Babylon. Bring us back to Jerusalem. Bring us back to Jerusalem. Verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Lord, we've been praying to get out of this season. We've been praying for a better season. We've been crying out to you to change our reality. And God says, no. I want you to stay right where you're at and I want you to build a house. This doesn't make sense. Where I'm at, Doesn't sound like prosperity. But he looks at them and says, where you're at is where I have you right now to accomplish my perfect plan and my perfect will in your life. Build houses and settle down. Look at what else he says. He goes on and says, plant gardens. Eat what they produce. And then he drops the big bomb on them in verse 6. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, Mary have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. God is an amazing God. And sometimes what he does to us is what he did to Joseph. In going deeper, in order to get to the palace, Joseph had to travel through the prison. I want you to grab a hold of this thought. In order to get to the palace, Joseph had to travel through the prison. God had a plan for Joseph to be the one to save the children of Israel. But he couldn't use Joseph until he went deep. And God used those prison years to prepare his heart for reconciliation and restoration with his family as he did it. I wish you could have had the opportunity to meet Bill and Helen Moon. Bill and Helen were heroes of mine. I knew them as a boy at Weeping Water Camp where I grew up. Helen was the camp cook. Bill and Helen lived in Bedford, Iowa, Taylor County, Iowa, the poorest county in the state of Iowa, and they were hog farmers. They had a real rough, small hog farm, trying to make it as best they could. Bill and Helen had four boys and one girl. And they tried to do everything they could in that hog farm to make it go. And I'll never forget, in my early years of college, seeing Bill Moon. I love Bill and Helen. They were like second parents to me. Bill said to me, he said, Dave, I can't believe it. We're going to lose the farm. We're going to lose the farm. Now you need to understand, if any of you are farmers, you'll understand this. Losing the farm is the bottle of the barrel. There is nothing worse than losing the farm. That farm is to go on from generation, got it maybe from a grandfather to this, to generation to generation to generation. Bill came broken and said, I can't save the farm. At about 55 years of age, Bill and Helen lost everything. I wanna fast forward to the end of the story. I'm down in Honduras, speaking at a missionary retreat, where Bill and Helen are at. Bill and Helen now have left the farm, serving as missionaries with World Gospel Mission in Honduras, served in a farm, El Sembrador, at the farm for a period of time, became hostess at a guest house in Tegucigalpa. That night I sat across the table from Bill, and he looked at me and he said, "Dave." I never knew that the place where I was in losing the farm was God's plan and God's will to get me to serve the rest of my life on the mission field making a difference around the world he said it took the loss to get me to the game it took the prison to get me to the palace it's a thrill of mine to be able to preach Bill and Helen's funerals individually it's was incredible to be able to stand up in front of their family and people that knew them from Iowa and to be able to tell the story about an Iowa hog farmer that God took off the farm and moved him to the front lines of ministry, to Bolivia, to, Brazil, to, to Honduras, and in many places around the world, impacting literally hundreds of lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. And you say, I know the plans I have for me. He said, no, no, no. It's my plans, plans to prosper you, plans to put you in your sweet spot and not to harm you. God has a place for you. God has a place for you. Look at verse 7. What does he say in verse 7? Verse 7 is phenomenal. In verse 7, he understands that the Israelites have this somewhere disease. They want to be somewhere else. They don't like where they're at. They want to be somewhere else. And he looks at them and says, uh, that's not going to work. In verse 7 he says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. They didn't like Babylon. They prayed God would judge Babylon with fire. Destroy it. And he said, no, I want you to bless where you're at. I want you to take the season and place where you're at and let your power just magnify that place in an amazing way. It's kind of fascinating how sometimes we don't like the place where we're at. This is crazy. Let me just read this to you. Jerry, the story of a, an elderly man in, in Phoenix? Calls his son in New York and says, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you, your mother and I are done with each other. 45 years of misery is enough. Pops, what are you talking about? The man screams. We can't stand the sight of each other any longer, the old man said. We're sick and tired of each other, and I'm sick of talking about this. You call your sister in Chicago and you tell her, and the old man hangs up the phone. Frantically, the son calls his sister who explodes on the phone. She said, like nuts, they're getting a divorce. I'll take care of this. She calls Phoenix immediately. She screams at her dad. She says, you aren't getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't you do anything. Do you hear me? And she hangs up. The old man hangs up the phone, smiles, turns to his wife and says, they're coming for Christmas and they're paying their own way. (laughs) Now, sometimes plans go a little strange. And they go a little goofy. God has a place for you. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. It's fascinating. Verse 11 are those people who come and try to discourage them from being obedient. In verse 11, they say, they say to them, uh, actually not verse 11. Look back at verse 11. Verse 9, he says, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. People came to them and said, this isn't right. If you were following God, you wouldn't hear what you're hearing. And God says, don't believe every voice that comes your way. God has a plan for you. You can put your name in there. God has a plan for you, Bill, you, Mary. God's got a plan for you. God has a place for you. And he said, I want you just to, I want you to stay in the place where I've got you. Sometimes we cannot figure out how this place thing works. I've had the privilege of pastoring in the same church for 38 years. Isn't that something, 38 years? I said to my son, I said, you know, that's really something, 38 years. He looked at me and he said, you know what that means, Dad? I said, no. He said, that means you're old. <laughs> Thirty-eight years. I had plans. I guess I can say this since I'm in Michigan. Thirty-eight years ago, I almost became a Michigander. It almost happened. Thirty-eight years ago, I was convinced that God was calling me from Nebraska to Livonia, Michigan. Livonia, Michigan. And I remember going out to Livonia. I wanted to be where there were people. The last thing I wanted to be is in a little town where there's no people, let alone an Amish town where there's horse and buggies. I wanted to be in a town. I wanted to be in a city. I wanted to be in a place. And the goofiest thing in the world happened. God led us to this little town. Barely over 4,500 people in the town and said, this is the place. And for 38 years, it has been the ride of my life. You know, I always tell people, it's amazing how good you look when you show up the same time the Lord does. Just find out where he's working and get there real quick, and you'll look really good. Because I know who I am, and I know I'm not that good. But I know God is great. Don't doubt God's place that he has for you. Some of you right now are so angry over the reality you're living in. I talked to a church growth consultant the other day that told me he's noticed something about men, men especially, who are in their upper 50s to their early 80s. I said, what do you notice about them? He said, they're angry. They're mad. They're mad at the government. They're mad at their kids. They're mad at their church. They're just mad. They're mad because their church is changing. Their government is a mess. They're angry old men. I thought, ooh, that's the age I am. When he said that to me, it shook me up. And I'm not happy with what's happening in our country. I'm not happy with what's happening in all of our churches. But I've determined by God's grace that he's placed me here for a time such as this. He's put me where he's put me, in the middle of a town that's now 6,000 people, with a lot of horses and buggies. And if that's where God places me, I'm going to do the best I can to serve him by his grace and his glory. Amen? That was pretty weak. Amen? Amen. Amen. So God has a plan for you. God has a place for you. And just one last thing before we say goodbye to that. Some of you are really struggling with your Babylon. You're struggling with your Babylon. I hate cancer. I hate Alzheimer's. every time I go visit my mom, rips my guts out. She doesn't know who I am. The other day I went over to mom and I just, my mom and I are close. I'm a mama's boy. I was the youngest. We spent three years together. Dad was on the road as a superintendent. And so mom and I were just, I'm a big baby. I'm a mama's boy. Proud of it. And I went over and I grabbed mom and she's touchy-feely. I'm a hugger. And So I just give her a big old kiss on the cheek and she just starts pecking on my cheek and then she goes back and she said, now who are you? (laughs) And I thought, whoa, do you do that to everybody, mom? And it just kinda hurt me. I hate Alzheimer's, hate cancer, I hate divorce. Oh, I hate divorce. I hate church splits. I hate broken relationships. But sometimes God says, I'm gonna let you in this season experience the depth of pain because I'm preparing you to go down in your roots as deep as you can be. Christy and I got home in, Mex- in May from Mexico, June, early June from Mexico. Drove up to our lawn. I'm one of these guys that likes a nice lawn. I want a green lawn. The lawn was totally burnt up. I've got an irrigation system, but when I left, it didn't look like I needed it, so I turned it off. In 10 days, the lawn burned up. I called the, the lawn guy. I said, what in the world's going on? he said can I tell you a secret he said you water your lawn so much that the roots don't go deep and so when stress comes on there's not a deep enough root system and he said you got caught without deep roots and it couldn't handle the stress that'll preach you know what I'm talking about God says I've got you in this place because I'm gonna take you down on your knees Success has ruined more people than failure listen to me I come from the rv capital of the world. I've watched instant millionaires come in a moment in their business Manufacturing right now is at an all-time high guys are making money that they never dreamed they'd make I go to them look them in the eye and I say i'm scared for you today Because success has ruined more people than failure when you fail you get on your face and you cry out to god When you get successful, you start to think you have magic in your pocket God has you in the place he wants you. Number three, he has a plan for you. He has a place for you. And the third one is he has a path he wants you to go on and a path for you to take. This is fascinating. Most people read Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's just read it together out loud right now, okay? Are you ready? Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And everybody stops there. They pull the verse out of context. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. What does it say? Verse 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will bring you back. There's a better day coming. Don't you lose that for one moment. He says, there's a path I want you to take. I want you, first of all, to call to me. Call to me, and I will answer. If I call a picnic at church, there'll be a 1,000 people. If I call a prayer meeting, there'll be six. We've gotten exposed. E.M. Bounds said it really well, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. And we've we've been exposed. We talk big, we pray little. Nothing happens until we find our face before God in prayer. Every great revival, every great move of the Spirit of God has always been preceded by God's people desperately crying out to him. Someone in this room is afraid to pray publicly. You need to learn how to do it. I love it when I lead someone to the Lord. Rick got saved a month ago. It was the coolest thing I've ever had in my life. I've never experienced this. I was getting ready to do a funeral. I knew Rick from around town for the last 38 years. It was, uh, it was his sister's, it was, it, was his sis, it was his brother-in-law, I guess I should say, that had died, 60 years old. Rick's an old Legion guy, lives at the American Legion. I've known him. I walk back in the family room, it's just Rick and I. I said, Rick, how you doing? Blew me out of the water. He said, I want to get saved. I thought, I've never heard anything like this. Right. The family's starting to come in. I thought, what do I do? What do I do? I said, Rick, give me your phone number real fast. As soon as this funeral's over, we got to get together. He gave me his phone number, I gave him mine. Service is over. We get together that night. We sit down. Rick said, God's been working on me for the last three years. I need to get saved. Took him through that. Began a disciple and We meet every Friday at 1 o'clock. We met last Friday at 1 o'clock. It was so much fun. I said to Rick, Rick, now you're going to do the thing where you're going to learn to pray. He said, okay. I said, you're going to pray out loud. They always say this. I I don't do that. I said, you will today. You're going to do it. Do you know now we get together? He says, can we pray before we leave? You ought to hear this guy pray. He doesn't pray King James. He prays Rick and cries out to God. In fact, I said, Rick, I'm going to Bayshore. Would you pray for me every day while I'm gone? Call upon me, and I will answer thee. I'll answer you. The church, we've gotten pretty weak in prayer. I've not come to guilt you. I could guilt every person in this room on prayer. Nobody in this room has said, man, I've been praying too much, I've got to cut back, Dave. No, you haven't been doing that. Look at what else he said. He said, seek me, seek me. I love that in verse 13 where he says, you will seek me. You'll seek me. You want to know how to put roots down? You've got to seek him. You know what I'm praying for at Bayshore in my time here? That God's going to give me some extended time when I can turn off the phone, turn off Facebook, turn off social media, turn off all my emails for these little seasons of time when I can say, God, I just want to seek you. I'm just hungry for you to do something. I'm tired of playing church. Tired of going through the motions. I need a brand new touch of the power and presence of God's spirit in my life. And I think there's a host of people in this room who say, man, I need the same thing. I need the same thing. I need a fresh touch. God, God has a plan for you. God... God has a place for you, and it may not be with the one you like right now, but it's a part of his plan for you. And God has a path for you when you seek him with all your heart. I love this last part of the verse. The last part of the paragraph, he says, and I will bring you back from the place from which I carried you into exile. There's greater days ahead. There's greater days ahead. God's going to do something. No eye has seen, no hear, has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Monday is the day I try to take off. I do a poor job of it. I try. I don't do well. I'm working on it. Christy and I had one Monday, we don't do it very often, where we got out of town as best we could, living in a small town and pastoring a church that's a little larger. It can be a little tricky. And so we got out of town, and we, we went to a mall. And she's not much of a shopper, but I said, honey, just go shop, and, and I'll go to a bookstore. I love bookstores. Oh, I think they're cool. Bookstores are libraries with an option to buy. That's the way I view them. You know, I can buy it if I want. I went into a bookstore, and I pulled this book off the shelf. The title intrigued me. And I pulled this book off the shelf, and I started to just fan through the pages. And I read a few pages, and I thought, this looks really good. And a little later, I thought, maybe I should buy it. And I went a little further on in the book, and the page was blank. And I thought, well, maybe between chapters they did it. I turned the next page, and it was blank. All the rest of the pages in the book were blank. Now, my first thought was, the a misprint. I can get a good deal on this. I'm tight. I can buy this on the cheap. I closed the book. And underneath the title of the book, it had this phrase, Write your own last chapter. Kevin, that's not the title of a book. God says, if you seek me, God's going to write chapters that are going to be incredible. Everything prior to today is done and over. You can't change it. You've made stupid decisions. I've made dumb decisions. We wish we could get mulligans and do it over. But God says, there's going to be a new chapter, and it can be our best chapter, when we seek him with all our heart. I want you to bow your heads together in prayer with me. Would you do that right now? I just want you to bow your heads. God's been good. But I have a feeling here tonight in this room that some of you in this room say, man, I don't like where I'm at. Some of you in this room say, my circumstances just, they're terrible. Some of you say, my roots aren't as deep as they should be. And God, I need you to to do a work in my heart. I need you to do something in me. As you're seated right there in the pew tonight, anybody here who would say, just right here would say, Dave, the Holy Spirit just took and elbowed me in the ribs. And he spoke to me tonight. You just take your hand and you just slip it up and say, God, thanks for talking to me. Always be quick. Always be quick. When God speaks to you, thank you for talking. Anybody else, just take your hand, hold it up for five, six, seven seconds. God bless you across this room. God bless you. God's gonna do a great work this week if we seek him with all of our hearts. He has a plan, he has a place, and he has a path for you. Father, thank you. You're an amazing God. You do amazing things. Thank you. I want you to stand together. Would you do that right now? I'm going to ask our team just to lead us as we worship.